Welcome to another episode of Empowered Plates, Empowered Lives, the podcast that is a holistic space, a holistic space created just for you. Today, we have a very special episode, Dr. Right with We Can Win. We're talking prostate cancer in the African-American communities, and I'm so honored and so excited that you all will be empowered by this interview with Dr. Wright and just know what he's doing with changing lives and supporting the Black community when it comes to prostate cancer. But before we get into this episode, vibe with me, y'all. Welcome to the Empowered Plates, Empowered Lives podcast. Yeah. So, y'all, I got a special one in the building today. Dr. Wright, Phi Beta Sigma Go Mob. We about to get into this. We getting into this thing. Dr. Wright, I'm coming in strong. First question. All right. And I want you to just be honest with me. What has been the most alarming story you have been aware of when it comes to prostate cancer in the black community? Well, uh, well, first of all, let, let me just say, thank you for having me. Uh, look, I like the way you come in. That's a strong vibe. I'm, I'm just not a dancer. I'll be all off key and stuff, right? You know, all off beat. But look, uh, I'm happy to be here with my friend. And uh, look, what an honor it is to be able to sit in this seat. And I think this is going to be a great, great show. Uh, I'm looking forward to how it's going to move forward. But to answer your question, uh, I think the greatest thing that that I've seen that has really touched my heart uh, and has empowered me to move forward uh, with what we do at We Can Win was I had a conversation with a, a young man. I was in San Antonio uh, earlier in the year, and uh, I was at a walk run that uh, Zero Prostate Cancer sponsors, and I was having this conversation with this guy and his wife, and uh, the guy said to me, he says, man, he says, look, uh, I had prostate surgery, had my prostate removed because when I went to get, uh, when I finally decided to go get checked up, my PSA was at 47.74. I thought I was going to just collapse right there. I said, man, you are a dead man walking, you know, 47.74. That's extremely high. Um, so it's, it's those, those types of conversations that have driven has driven us to to do what we do today because it's such a huge disparity uh, in the separation and what's going on in our community as a, as opposed to our counterparts. Um, Don't go so, too into that too much, Doctor Wright, because what you what you said was PSA, and people might not know what PSA is because it's not a public service announcement. It's a prostate specific <laughs> antigen, right? Like, like how, right? Yeah, right. I thought, you say public <laughs> when I first heard it, but yeah. Prostate and what, what, what makes that so unique and what should people really be looking for when it comes to those PSAs? Okay, so PSA determines uh, whether or not uh, urologists, radiologists need to take a closer look at, at what's going on with uh, the prostate when it comes down to not just black men, but to, to all men. Um, it's just that black men are affected more than any other race. But uh, if your PSA is... Uh, at a level zero to 4.0, 4.5. is a little bit high, but that's still in a normal range. When it hits a five, then 
urologists want to start taking a closer look to see what's really going on with the prostate. Okay. That's, that was important. I just wanted to make sure we know that because I know before you told me the big components when it comes to prostate cancer is to make sure we get in screening, right? And then early detection. That that's that gives us the the best chance possible to be a survivor like you, correct? Absolutely. Uh, uh, early detection screening is the most vital piece of understanding what prostate cancer is all about. Uh, unfortunately, uh, and I don't want to jump ahead of you, but uh, early detection screening, uh, unfortunately, is not being promoted uh, the way it should be promoted uh, in the African-American communities. Uh, and so the, the goal here is to bring uh, relevant information, real information uh, about the seriousness of early detection and screening. For instance, you look at myself, uh, when I was diagnosed in 2012, I had a conversation with my doctor who was a general practitioner. I had no idea what prostate cancer was. The guy said prostate cancer, I'm like, prostate what? What is that, right? And never heard of it, right? Um, and so we had the discussion. He started, started telling me about what prostate cancer was and what the prostate was, where it was located and so forth and so on. He says, to me, well, your PSA elevated from a uh, 4.5 to a 5.5 and uh, a little bit less than 12 months. So I'm concerned about that, right? So uh, that started the journey. Uh, I had to go and have a, a biopsy done. And, uh, you know, during my, during my journey, I had six biopsies and no man, black, white, green, or blue should have that many biopsies. And, and we're just discovering this, right? Uh, because it's, although it's not very painful, it's extremely uncomfortable, right? Um, but when he told me this, um, I was on my way out of the country, going on vacation, uh, got a call in um, about a week after I took the, the biopsy and God told me that they found a small trace of prostate cancer. Or cancer in itself, um, will drive you into a whole different vibe. I mean, your life completely changes in a matter of seconds, right? And I'm like, cancer? Oh, man, come on, man, don't tell me this. I'm on my way to Jamaica to have a good time, and you telling me that I got cancer? He said, yeah, well, the good side of this is you don't have to worry about it. It's not going to kill you. So this is a very small trace. Uh, it's easy for you to say. But see, the psychological side of that, you know, can really throw you overboard. This man has committed suicide because somebody told him they had prostate cancer and they didn't quite understand it, right? So they just decided they would end it all. But uh, in my journey, uh, you know, with the biopsies, uh, I decided to take what was called uh, active surveillance. Uh, I didn't want to have had the option, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, which is, which is nothing but a poison to your system. Uh, it, it kills you quicker than anything else. And that's my point of view. And I'm not a medical doctor, but, um, you know, I've heard the bad parts about chemotherapy. So I decided to do what was called active surveillance or watch and wait is a common term. In that situation, we actually watch to see what the prostate is going to do, what the cancer is going to do uh, over a period of time. And then we, uh, we decide if, if there's movement, then we decide to take other actions. So from 2012 to 2017, like I said, I had six biopsies. 
it wasn't until uh, my VA doctor recommended or referred me to UT Southwestern Radiation Oncology, where I met uh, who's my current urologist, Dr. Rebuku Hunan, and my nurse practitioner, Tamara Dickinson. Uh, Tamara Dickinson. And uh, so we had this conversation when I went in. They sat in the chair. They actually sat maybe a foot and a half away from me, looked me right in the eyes and said, look, what we don't want you to do is worry about this thing because it's not going to kill you. He said, now, there's a lot of men that die with prostate cancer, but not from prostate cancer. So that number was like 99 out of 100 will die with the disease, but not from the disease. That's that's a pretty high statistic. Well, that's a pretty high statistic. Yeah, but that number has changed drastically uh, over the years. Now um, we're looking at anywhere from five to eight men who will die with, I mean, who will die from prostate cancer. Mm. What's, what's, what caused that that shift? And then there's something else you said I want to go back to. But what do you think caused that shift? Well, the, the main factor. Or do you think factor, it always was there? They were just trying to give you hope. Well, the main factor is that African-American men won't go to the doctor. They don't get tested. And prostate cancer is, uh, to quote my good friend, uh, Lana, uh, who wrote the movie, uh, the documentary, uh, The Silent Killer. Uh, that's exactly what prostate cancer is. It's a silent killer. There's no symptoms until you stage, right? Mm. And when you get into third, fourth stage prostate cancer, your life changes dramatically, right? So how so, often should, should you 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 would recommend a black male to you know get screened or get tested? Okay, so the medical community is saying now that if uh, an African American male has high risk, meaning that there's prostate cancer in their family, grandfather, father, uh, you know, blood relatives. If there's cancer, prostate cancer in their family, they're considered to be high risk. So they should start testing at 40 years old, right? Anybody else, uh, there's no history of prostate cancer. You haven't had any issues, um, meaning, you know, urinary issues, having to get up uh, multiple times at night to go use the restroom, stuff like that, then you can start testing at 45. Again, none of this stuff is etched in stone because it's still being tossed around like a like a corner on the football field trying to determine, you know, what really works. So it, it, it's it's new. Um, a year, 10 years ago, uh, urologists and radiologists were saying there's no need to test for prostate cancer. It's, it's overrated, right? But... When the, when the American Cancer Society and organizations like Zero, organizations like ours, We Can Win, when we started looking at numbers, when we started looking at statistics and data, we found that, hey, you know what? No, we, we have to start testing these men because they're dying off so fast from a disease that's 99% curable, right? So I like 99% curable. Yeah, I mean, here I am, I'm, I'm 68 years old. I got diagnosed when I was 56. And I live a pretty normal life. Um, I had a I had a, a procedure done, a non-surgical procedure done, uh, five um, treatments of radiation, and here I am today. I'm good, right? However, I am in constant contact with my doctors. Listen, every three months I'm on the phone. Um, 
my PSA went from when I had the procedure went from a 10.7 to where it is now at 0 0.17. That's something to be celebrating this procedure, right? Now here's the clicker. In action, that's being an advocate for your health and knowing exactly what you're doing, staying empowered. I love that. That's right. Nobody can take better care of me than me. Nobody can take better care of me than me, right? That's and that's so, the gem right there, Dr. Wright. Nobody can take better care of you than me. And I think that that's the whole purpose of Empower Plates, Empower Lives, is empowering people to take that power within themselves to do what it is that they need to heal themselves and live a more vibrant life. And that right there is what it is because you could you could have left it to the doctors. You could just listen to whatever the doctors tell you. But at the end of the day, you only allow the doctors to be just a part of your journey. You're not allowing them to lead and control your healing journey. And I think that's beautiful. Something you said um, a little ways back, but I wanted you to keep talking because I wanted to keep listening and learning was you said there's a psychological factor to being diagnosed with cancer. And you said you, you were on your way to Jamaica and it's easy for someone to say, hey, you have cancer, but don't worry about it. Go have fun. You're not going to die from this. And like you said, it's easier for someone else to say because they're not in your shoes. They don't know what this is going to really project and how it's going to turn out for you, for you to Correct. just put all of your trust in their word, their word or their belief. What was it psychologically that you had to tap into to really get you to the point where you said, OK, I can win. I will be OK. If I'm not okay now, I know I will be okay. I can go and still enjoy myself in Jamaica. What what was that psychological um, shift for you that some don't get? Like you said, they get diagnosed and then they end up possibly committing suicide. You know. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so I was I was with a a group of really really good friends, um, okay. and uh, when they just happened to be with me when I got the call, and um, after I got off the call, you know, they were like, man, what's, what's wrong with you? What's going on? Why are you, why are you tripping? Why are you looking like this? Why you got tears in your eyes? <laughs> and so when I got to telling them, they were like, look, and these were some really good ministry friends of mine. And they said to me, he said, Bishop, you're doing exactly what you teach us not to do. So you're giving the devil all the credit. You, you're about to take your own self out of this thing. So snap out of it, dude. We're not going to be believing all of this stuff. What we're going to do is we're going to go to Jamaica. We're going to have a good time. When we come back, we go back to California. We're going to deal with this, the stuff as it is. And then you're just going to trust God the rest of the way. And, you know, with that, it kind of put me in a different space, right? Because prostate cancer is not an individual disease. It's not a selfish disease. It's a disease that has to be shared with your village because prostate cancer affects my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my, my siblings, you know, uh, close friends and associates. It affects everybody in my circle. The, the, the problem with it is uh, there are those men who decide that I'm not sharing this. This is a private situation. I don't want anybody to know that I have prostate cancer. And the reason is because there's been so much bad information and disinformation, misinformation that has been put out in the African-American communities that that's the first approach that black men take. I want nobody to know this, but somebody has to know, right? Especially uh, when you start staging, it takes caregivers. 
They have to be there for you. You can't be there for yourself. There's things that you need them for, especially after surgery, right? Now, with that being said, there's, uh, we talked about the psychological side of it. I mean, you know, after prostate cancer surgery or prostate surgery, I mean, there's, there could be sexual side effects. There could be emotional side effects. Uh, you know, uh, a man feeling like he's not a man anymore, you know, especially in our community, you know, when we lose access to the bedroom, that changes the whole perspective of being a black man, right? And so at Weekend Win, we deal head on with these situations. And we tell these guys straight up, hey, man, look, this is what life is all about. Now, if you lose uh, access, per se, to your bedroom, at least you're still alive, right? But we still have to coach and counsel these guys to get them back to a state where they're believing in who they are. Because now there's therapists, sex therapists that deal especially with prostate cancer patients and survivors. And uh, yeah, I mean, I have a young lady uh, from Ann Arbor, Michigan, that's going to be with me uh, in May for my symposium, uh, Dr. Daniela Whitman. She is a sex therapist. She specializes in prostate cancer. I was just on a, a panel with her uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm, I'm telling you, this lady is so well-versed in the alternatives, the things that, that we as African-American men can do. Uh, this lady was saying how she has patients that's 80 years old and still have active sex lives. All right, let's go. Because they oh, still to a big clap of their hands, right? <laughs> they're still in the game, but again, as I said earlier, we can't do this by ourselves because we let's, say we have to go, let's say we have to go into therapy for this, we can't do it by ourselves. We need to have our wives, our significant others, right there with us because, again, now we're in the bedroom, so this affects my wife, my, my, my significant other, right? So she needs to be a part of that conversation, right. Um, so she can understand the emotional side, you know, I mean, you know, you, you, you're a young man, let's say you had uh, prostate cancer surgery at, let's say, 50, 50 years old. You're newlywed, you know, and you just discovered it. You, you got to bring that, that, that newlywed wife into that conversation because she needs to know what you're about to do. And then she needs to be in agreement with that. Right. So once that situation is settled. You know, it tends to give the man a little bit more pride uh, in himself, and then it allows him to come back uh, to being who he is, right? So I think you said something that really stood out to me, Dr. Wright, and it was, we're not talking about it enough. And I think that's a problem because if you don't talk about it, and you just said it earlier, you're only high risk if you know someone in your family had it. And there's so many families in the black community that don't talk about health disparities. They don't talk about their health conditions, whether it's cancer, whether it's heart disease, whether it's high blood pressure, diabetes, thyroid conditions. There's so many families that just keep their health issues on the hush hush. And if you don't know the family history, you're unable to have those conversations with doctors to even know what, could possibly be plaguing over your life. Um, and I think that that's a big thing for us. And I'm really grateful that not only are you visible and you're vocal and you have We Can Win, and we're going to dive right into what We Can Win really is. Um, but I think we need more visibility and more 
vocal people in the black community that are talking about it. And I'm seeing the wave kind of increase with that. And I think it's beautiful. And then we can have platforms just like this for the free that people are really just talking about their journey, talking about their lives and saying what their mission is for people to support and get in alignment with it. But I, I just don't want to just allow you to say that. And we don't come back to that. Visibility is a must. Being vocal is a must. When you don't talk to your people, your family about what you're going through or what you faced, you don't get them the opportunity to help build that blueprint for your family coming behind mm -hmm. you. And that's still a part of your legacy. Even mm -hmm. if it's something that you don't find pride in, it's still something that you overcame or it's still something that was an obstacle for you that you want to be able to give those same tools to somebody else that either might be in your family or within your community or close by. So mm -hmm. I think that was just something I really wanted to highlight. Um, but I wanted to continue to hear your story. And then I know you said before about your procedure. Um, so what specifically was your route on how you addressed um, prostate cancer for you? Okay, so, you know, the, the saying is, if we know better, we do better, right? That's the saying. And so visibility, uh, of voice, uh, these platforms um, that are not available to the general public, uh, these platforms make it easier uh, to get the word out, right? So you look at my journey. Um, when I met with uh, UT Southwestern Radiation Oncology and my doctor uh, sat in front of me and told me, look, this thing is not going to kill you. Um, so we just developed, my partner and I had just finished developing a uh, clinical trial called SBRT, right? And so, of course, in the Black community, when you say clinical trial, everything goes out the window because the first thing we think about is Tuskegee, the Tuskegee experiment. Okay, so, and we can win. We, we, in, out, we are intentionally trying to uh, get rid of that negative narrative because laws prevent stuff like have that happen at Tuskegee, right? However, we still have it in the back of our minds. Right. And it's unfortunate. So with me, when when my doctor told me, which and that's another thing, you have to be really comfortable with your doctor. Uh, my sister, you have to be really comfortable with your doctor. And if you're not comfortable with your doctor, find you another doctor. Right. And, and I'll hit on that in just a second. But when uh, I had this procedure and, you know, me, uh, I, I'm always the happy go lucky kind of guy. I live life as it is, you know. And so. I said this to my doctor. I said, look, with this procedure, I have a 50-50 chance. 50% saying I'm going to live, 50% saying I'm not. I said, either way, doc, I'm good with it because my life is always in God's hands. So if I'm going to die at this age from prostate cancer, so be it. Do, do I want to die? This young? No, because I got a lot of work to do. But if that is God's will, then it is what it is, right? And so we address not only the, the, the natural part of this thing, but we address the spiritual side of it as well, right? So when he told me what the procedure was all about, um, I went for my appointment. My, my wife couldn't be, matter of fact, we, were, we, we hadn't gotten married yet. We were talking about getting married. My daughter, she had to work. So my daughter was there. My pastor was there. Uh, my, my village was there um, doing the whole procedure. 
right? They did not leave that hospital, right? It was a, an outpatient situation. And so when we went into the procedure room, there was nine people in there, including myself. Um, there was the, the urologist and radiologist, of course, and then the nursing staff, the anesthesiologist, because it's a conscious, a semi-conscious type surgery. You're, you're, you're awake, but you're, you know, you're somewhere else, right? So I went in the room like with a real positive attitude, like, okay, come on, y'all, let's do this thing because I don't have all day to be in here, right? And so the staff is looking at me like, is this dude for real? I mean, we're about to have a good time in here. I'm like, look, when I walked into that room, when I was wheeled into that room, um, I said to them, look, I, I come in here with a positive attitude. I believe that I have the best medical staff on the face of the planet. So I'm not even concerned with anything going wrong. Right. All I want to do is for y'all to get it over with so I can go home because my wife, my, my fiance is going to fry some chicken this evening. So I want to go home to eat. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is just the way I took the approach. And so uh, when they started the procedure, um, they had to. Uh, it, so it's a it's a it's a it's a twofold procedure. Okay. One, they have to insert what's called an anal. This is the SBRT, correct? BRT, right. Okay. You know what that stands for, or that's just what they called it? Because it's a clinical so trial. That was, a, that was just the name that they called it. Okay. But they insert first what's called an anal wall gel. Mm -hmm. And what this is, they insert this gel that expands to cover the anal wall. Because in the past, what had happened was um, they were treating a prostate cancer but damaging the uh, damaging the anal wall, mm. right? So with this procedure, they they put a gel. It's like a shield. They put it up in you know in front of the anal wall so that when they start doing the radiation treatments, the treatment will be directed specifically at the damaged area of the prostate. Then after that, uh, they use what's called fiduciary seeds. Um, these are really tiny seeds, about the size of the tip of an ink pen. Um, they're 14 karat gold, so they don't, you know, go off when you go through the airports and all that kind of stuff. So they had to insert three. Mm, okay. So, so the first time uh, they, they they used this this anesthetic fentanyl, 25 milligrams. I will never forget it. 25 milligrams of fentanyl, prescription fentanyl, administered by doctors, right? And so they did the first seed. So when he went to implant the second seed. <laughs> they had to deaden the second area. And when, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be the, the macho guy. I don't need any more. I'm good. And when they tried to insert that seed, baby, I almost raised up on that table. I said, hey, 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 shoot me with some more of that stuff. Right? <laughs> so, the procedure, it took 45 minutes for the procedure uh, from start to finish. And uh, I ended up having to take uh, 25 milligrams each uh, time they inserted the seed. So total 75 milligrams. So of course, you know, I, it was like I was in Disney somewhere, Looney Tooney as I could ever want to be. But uh, six hours later, no pain. You know, I started radiation a week later. Uh, like I said, I had, I had five treatments. It, it's very uncomfortable when you're doing radiation because you have to have a full bladder. So mm -hmm. you, you got to drink all this water and you land up on this table and you know, you're like, Oh yeah, well y'all please hurry up. A brother got to go. Right. 
And so as soon as you get finished, boy, you jump on that table and you head for the restroom. But so, so this is the kind of comedic approach that I take when it comes to procedures. Because if you go in there with a negative attitude, uh, the good things might not happen. We are what we think. We, there you, you know, go. We, we are what we think. And so, you know, I'm extremely grateful. That's where you place your power. You yeah, place yeah, your yeah. power in your thoughts. Absolutely. So I'm extremely grateful for the, the staff uh, that I'm still connected with. Um, part of the reason We Can Win came into existence is because of this staff um, at, U, at uh, UT Southwestern. Uh, Tamara is still a big part of it. Uh, Mary Whitmore, who's the marketing director over there at UT Southwestern Radiation, um, has played an important role at helping us to bring doctors in and you know, again, not going to get ahead, but we'll talk about the symposium and stuff like that. But um, it's people like this that, uh, Ms. Ford, that helps us to become better people. Because, see, uh, I, I learned some years ago that my life is real. I don't really live my life for me. I live my life for others. Because if I can't help somebody else, then my life is worthless. Right. And so my lifelong mission now is to empower, enlighten, and educate African American men, Hispanic American men, or the black brown communities about what's available when it comes down to prostate cancer. I I, I mean my my thing was this. I, I had this conversation with God one day. And I said, man, why me? Right? Why me? Because nobody else in my family had prostate cancer that we know of because nobody was testing for it back then. So these brothers that's talking about, well, my mama, I mean, my daddy didn't have it. My, 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 my grandfather, my great, we don't know because they weren't testing back then. Right? And so when um, I had this conversation we got to be really careful about how we question God because God will answer you. And sometimes the answer is not what you want to hear. <laughs> right? So here, here's, here's what I heard. If you had not been afflicted with this disease, I would not have been able to cure you from this disease. Mm. And you would not have been able to witness and talk to millions of men across the world about the importance of getting screened for this disease. That's powerful, Dr. Wright. That's that's powerful. As I, I said it one time before, like obstacles were created for you to overcome. So they, it was for you to overcome in order for you to continue to live with this purpose and have this mission. And it Absolutely. goes back to something you said earlier when you said you weren't living for you. Um, I had this this thing that came, that came to me when I was on a live one time and I was talking about living, loving and locking. And I was with living. It was like, if you still are living, if you still woke up today, you still need you and the universe still needs you because there, there's something about people taking life for granted and they're not really understanding the value that their, their life plays, not only just in their life, but in the lives of others. And even when you're not thinking about other people, when you think about yourself and you think about how you show up in life for yourself, it still is going to impact other people. Even That's if you don't feel like it, your life is a byproduct of 
what you're doing is a byproduct to other people that are going to be influenced by you, even people you don't even know that you're influencing. Mm -hmm. And it's just having that that vibe or that awakening or that enlightenment to know intentionally I'm living on purpose for purpose. I know that I'm going to be an impact. And just knowing you're going to impact, you show up authentically like yourself all day, every day. And I think you're right. Like it, you, you got to be mindful of how you question God, but you just have to be mindful of yourself first. Because if you didn't take, if you didn't have that village, like you said, and I had a village as well before I had my uh, surgery for endometriosis and we were trying to make sure it really was endometriosis. And he thought it was going to be a quick procedure and ended up taking four hours and it was stage four endo. It. I had my my grandma, I had my aunt, and then I had my other aunt, who's also my godmom, there the whole step of the way from getting there to when I wake up to them coming back. And it's that village because you don't know how you're going to feel. You don't know what news you're going to get. And you know you're not going to necessarily feel like yourself. But it's, it's good when you have people who love you that are right there around you to let you know it's going to be okay, that you're able to psychologically say, you know what? I am going to be okay. I got this village. I got this support. So let me do what it is that I need to do to keep taking it one step at a time. Um, but I, I want to dig into this because like you said, we can win was birthed from you being an overcomer and for you to sit up here and now be on a global level of how you're really impacting African-American men when it comes to prostate cancer, or let's just say prostate health, because not only are you talking to people who might have had cancer, you're also trying to make sure these people don't get it or they constantly stay screened and you're educating them. So let, tell us about this. Talk, talk to us about what We Can Win is all about. Listen, uh, the American Cancer Society has estimated that over 283,000 men in the United States will be diagnosed with prostate cancer in the upcoming year. Uh, that number is extremely high, way too high, right? And so um, in 2021, um, I'm having a conversation with my wife and uh, I said to her, I said, well, we, we, we have to do something. We, we, we have to say something. Um, I don't know how we're gonna do it, but we're gonna set out on this mission. And so, um, the very first weekend win symposium came together, um, and the the what we planned planned to do was have a, just a little small gathering, uh, 20, 25 brothers to come in and sit in this audience, listen to these doctors, and um, listen to my journey. We had a couple other people came in with testimonies as well. And a seventy two year old guy who had experienced prostate cancer, and his wife had overcome four different types of cancers. And uh, we we brought the message, the beginning message. Well, from that event, we started getting calls, started getting emails. When was that event? When was your first event, Dr. Wright? This was in 2022. 2022? Okay. Mm -hmm. In May of 2022. Um, we were geared up to serve 100 men. Two weeks before our event, the COVID numbers in Texas spiked. That cut our in-person, um, um, you know, participation down a lot. So we had about 27 people in person, but we had about a 350 people virtual audience, which made the event successful, right? And so moving forward, I got connected with zero prostate cancer. 
And zero. zero Prostate Cancer is one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the United States that deal with prostate cancer. They're big on advocacy. Uh, they have this big thing in Washington, which I was a part of uh, earlier this year. Got a chance to go to the White House, go inside the White I was actually inside the White House. I stood on the stairs where presidents and senators and congressmen stood. And, you know, uh, I was uh, I was on cloud nine. Yeah, my head got real big then. But it was a very surreal moment for me because, uh, you know, this this these guys uh, put a lot of resources into the African-American community. Uh, and so I had an opportunity to go to Washington and speak to senators and congressmen about uh, funding for prostate cancer research, prostate cancer education. There's two bills uh, uh, on the House floor right now. Uh, uh, I can't remember the one. The one is HB 1170 or HB 1160, but there's another senatorial bill as well that's on the floor trying to get uh, our legislative leaders to sign off on these bills. Just listen, can you imagine what would happen if we eliminated the cost of going to have a PSA done. I mean, it's not expensive. It ranges anywhere from $35 to $65, depending on where you are. But if you take $65 out of an African-American family of five, where only the father or only the mother is working, that's a lot of money. That can mean a meal for that week, right? And so we're advocating with you guys, trying to get them to understand, listen, it's important that you sign off on these bills. And of course, you know, we get we get people saying, I'm, I'm absolutely not gonna do that. You know, I'm not gonna call this guy's name, but one of the senators from Texas um, wouldn't sign off on the bill. I'm like, hey, you know what? If someone in your family comes down with prostate cancer, or if you come down with prostate cancer, I guarantee you, you're gonna have a second thought on why you didn't put your name on that bill. So we can eliminate this cost and increase spending for prostate cancer research, then we're gonna make a serious impact in the United States for African-American men dealing with prostate cancer. So zero are huge advocates. Um, I was I just did a conference with them a couple of months ago. I mean, they, they're they're nationwide, they have representatives nationwide. I'm doing a walk run with them on October 28th in Fort Worth. Um just, you know, just to keep on pushing. And uh then, of course, there's, you know, the American Cancer Society who partnered with us uh, this past May. Uh, we signed uh, an agreement with them. We have just signed an agreement. Congratulations, with Coach. Thank That's good. Yeah, we signed an agreement. Good, Dr. Wright. You can't just speed past that. Like, not, not too many people are, like, really partnering up with um, yeah. African-American organizations that are really out here trying to be an influence and an impact within their communities. Cause some might, might say, you know, like the whole black lives matter, but what about all the other lives that are affected by prostate cancer? Why are you so specific um, to the black, the black community? Or maybe they might say, oh, well, we can't win is what? Racist, right? Have you ever heard anyone say anything like that about, about your organization? I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> prostate cancer, affects men, period, across the spectrum. However, there is a huge disparity 
when it comes down to African-American men and our counterparts. The money is not being spent in our communities to get the word out. Uh, prescription drugs are extremely high. In our community, we face a different situation, right? So I dealt with that early on. I've had people to walk away from me, which could have been big name players, walked away from me. Say, hey, now, you know, it's, it's kind of racist what you're talking about because you're only dealing with black. I said, look, so I, you know, I appreciate God for this bonus that I had because see, I'm not afraid of you because you have multiple millions of dollars. It doesn't matter to me because first of all, you're not spending any of them in my community. So I'm gonna tell you what I feel, right? So you, you wanna call it racist, but it's not racist when you're spending 80% of your monies in the other communities and oh, not in right. African-American communities. So how, how is that racist? Is it racist because you, you, you're doing your thing over there? Would, would that be considered to be racist? But because I'm targeting specifically African-American men. Our program is open to all men, but we specifically target African-American men because we're dying now at five times the rate of mm -hmm. any other race. In the state of Texas alone, 17,283 African-American men slated to die from prostate cancer, right? And people wonder why I get so passionate, why I get so emotional about it, because here's a disease that's 99% curable. And you telling me I'm racist? It was racist to you when you did what you did to our people in Tuskegee. But we forgave you. <laughs> we moved on from it. <laughs> so my thing is this. I'm an African-American male. I want to get that information out because if you kill the seed, the plant dies. Come on, Dr. Wright. Say it one more time. If you kill the seed, the plant dies. Right? So we have no legacy. I have a 16-year-old son in there. I want to leave a legacy for him. I have two daughters. Three daughters, actually. I want to leave a legacy for them. I have granddaughters. A grandson. I want to leave a legacy for them. What's your legacy going to be, Dr. Wright? It's going to be the legacy that I fought for, for we can win. It's going to be the legacy that brought information that was correct and, and uh, precise and concise to the African-American male. It's going to be the legacy that I leave that they can say Dr. Wright helped to save 200,000 African-American men across the United States because he wouldn't give up, right? I quote, I, I quote my, my, my fraternity brother, the Honorable John Lewis, I get in good trouble, necessary trouble, <laughs> if that makes sense. It right? does. It makes it makes total sense. Are you the only African-American nonprofit that do what you do, or are there other ones that are similar that you know of? From what I understand, uh, We Can Win uh, is one of, I think, three uh, African-American-owned nonprofit in the United States that mm -hmm. do what we do. Yeah. I see. So uh, Finn, is, Finn is the other. I just learned of them recently. Mm -hmm. um, again, you know, we're, we're, we're three years into this thing, four years into this thing. So we're still connecting with people. We're still understanding and learning, learning what's out there. But uh, in Texas, we can win. That's it. 
I got you. I got you. And so you were telling me before about the misdiagnosed. Have you ever heard of people being misdiagnosed, thinking that they had prostate cancer, but then it really wasn't the case? Like, have you ever had a situation like that before? Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So when we when we were doing our symposium 2023, um, we Foxport News did a, a huge piece on uh, on what we were doing and on the organization. That's beautiful. Yeah, Shout out so, to them for giving you that uh, type of coverage. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my, my, my friend Sean Rapp uh, uh, called us, uh, said, hey, look, I want to do a piece on what you guys are doing. And they ran it actually twice. Um, and there was a gentleman that called us, and he was really concerned. He says, listen, I'm seeing this urologist, and this guy keeps telling me I have prostate cancer, but I, I'm just not comfortable with what he's saying. Again, if you're not comfortable with your urologist or even your, your general practitioner, find you another doctor, right? And so I had a conversation with this guy. In fact, I had a couple of conversations with him. About a month ago, I get a phone call from this guy because I referred him to UT Southwestern. He called me about a month ago. He said, man, I finally got an appointment. I went in, I met with this doctor, took all the tests that he needed to take. He told me, he said, man, you do not have prostate cancer. He said, your numbers of they're well below the margin. And the guy was like, I couldn't believe what this guy was saying to me because I just left a urologist telling me that I needed surgery to remove my prostate. In the African-American community, a doctor that didn't look like us, right? Cancer is still a huge moneymaker, right? I'm not a doctor. So I know I don't have prostate cancer. My urologist is telling me I do have prostate cancer. Right? So this guy, because of what we do, went and spoke with another doctor and found out there was no need to remove his prostate. Numbers were perfect. Can you imagine? They ever how sent that information back to the doctor who told him he needed surgery just to see what they were going to say? I'm to let sure. him know that I got a second, because I I just think that's that's crazy. Because I mean that that's to me is a huge mistake. You know, like that's a huge error. What if he just would have said, "Oh, okay," just because that one doctor told him? Like, what if he did? He just said, "Okay, I'm just gonna let doctors tell me whatever it is that I need to do, and not listen to my own voice, listen to what my body is saying to me, or listen to people who look like me that I value and that I trust because they're connected to people who know what's going on." Like that, that, that to me is just, it's baffling, but I'm so grateful that you are visible and you're vocal and that he trusted your organization and what you were saying, because if, if, and that's just honestly true. Like if people don't look like us, there, right. there's going to be that opportunity where you're kind of hesitant on what they're saying, because it wasn't just Tuskegee that has people that mistrust the healthcare system or have us as black people mistrust the healthcare system, because I felt the same way when I had to go to an endometriosis excision surgeon. He didn't look like me at all. But I had to go to my sorority sister who did look like me, who was an OBGYN, to ask her if she knew about him. She had actually worked with him before and knew him very well and told me I was in great hands and he's going to take his time. That right there gave me the relief that I needed. That I didn't feel like I needed to go and find all these other different people. 
that reassured me that I can go through and trust you. And I think so many times people don't realize that we just want to take this mistrust and just hold on to it and not realize some there's some things we're going to have to meet in the middle with in order for us to truly get an answer for what's going on. Because all we see is the outside. We don't know what's going on in the inside. I thought I was healthy. I had no idea when I got up on March 3rd, 2020 with from my surgery that he was going to say, not only did I have stage four, but you had to take out my appendix. This cysts were all over my all different organs, uh, fallopian tubes were joined. I had no idea all of that was going on in my body. I had fibroids, like nothing. I felt pain two major times in my life that were debilitating and had me sick out of the norm. It was nothing other than that. And I did not know all of that was going on. So when you say you have to trust what people are telling you, like you can't just trust any and everybody. You really have to go and verify. And if Sometimes you got to go look at their results with that doctor who told told that man that he had, you know, prostate cancer or that he needed to have surgery because of whatever was going on. It would have been nice to go back and look at their results. What are other doctors saying? What are other patients saying about this doctor? What are, what are the reviews saying? Like, what, go fact check that. And then, like I said, come to you where you have trusted doctors and organizations that believe in your mission that support you that are going to say nah this isn't somebody we're going to just take their word for let's let's follow up with a second opinion and if you don't need a second opinion let's get a third opinion or a fourth opinion you got to do what's right for you you still have to be the leader and the driver in this thing like your body can talk to you all it wants to but you got to listen and you can't just be listening to any and everybody yeah i, I mean just like you, you, I, I mean, I, I get it. You, you, you're exactly right. Um, it, it's just like it's just like a relationship, right? If if you don't trust that relationship, you're gonna get out of that relationship, right? Um, so people have access. So what makes you so special? What makes we can win so special? I'm like, no, we're not special. It just specializes in what we do, right? <laughs> so that was, that was dope. Um, we have <laughs> like. In, we have been so blessed uh, that we can win uh, the partnership that we have with UT Southwestern Radiation Oncology and the Harold Simmons Comprehensive uh, Cancer Center. You know, we're, we're in a soft conversation right now with Pfizer and uh, Movember. Uh, we just registered with them all because. November, right? Movember. Tell me a little bit about Movember. Uh, you know what? Movember uh, is new to me. So. There, uh, let me just, I, I had to sit in right here because I kind of figured you're gonna ask me a question. But they're, they're one of the leading uh, charities that's changing the face of the nation as far as funding is concerned. Okay. Uh, they're, they're dealing with men's health on a global scale. So they've been around since 2003. Um, we're in that process right now. Uh, just entered that process. Can't talk too much about it because of the restrictions that they oh, have. No, I just want to know what Movember was because, like you just said, it's leading when it comes to men's health, and Absolutely. I and, and I know that men's health is valuable. I mean, we hear a lot about women's health because guess what? Women's health leads to children, and children are our legacies. Like so, when when you think about men's health, you don't always see a lot of organizations talking about black men's health. And who's a driving force and who's supporting and funding it. So I just wanted you to kind of, you know, hit on that just a little bit because it might allow maybe the other two organizations that kind of do the same thing that you do, kind of tap in and see how they could help. Because 
you're, you're a nonprofit organization. You're not out here trying to make money. You're not a business. You're out here trying to spread information. You're equipping people. You're engaging people. You're really trying to influence and impact because like you said, five times, black men are dying five times, five times faster than their other counterparts when it comes to prostate cancer. And that, that, that's not to take lightly mm-hmm. at all. And if, if we're being honest, and I will go back to that racist word, it sounds like prostate cancer is racist. If, if we're really talking about it, it's not you. Like, you know, you're specializing in the fact that this information needs to be brought to the African-American community. But you're not just bringing information. You're bringing in partnerships. You're bringing in organizations that are already making moves, that know more about this than you do. You're just the bridge over troubled waters and you're trying to make sure that bridge is as strong and it reaches as far as it needs to, to continue to save a life and impact a life. And I just am grateful for organizations like Movember that can help nonprofit organizations fulfill their mission and continue to go because it, 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 if you don't have the funding, you can only do, but so much. If you don't have the support and the village and the community and the ties to partnerships that have more funding than that, then you can only go so far. And this this is running deep. And this is bigger than just Texas. You might be number one or the only in Texas, but this is bigger than that. Like you said, you've reached global people. To have 300 plus people on a virtual symposium or event where you were just expecting to get a few people together is powerful because it started with you. And it started with you needing to have those brothers around you or those other ministers around you to let you know that you got this. And they didn't say it at that point, but you know now that we can win. Yeah. We, we can overcome prostate cancer because it is 99% curable, but we have to do our part. We have to talk about it within our families. We have to go get screened and we have to just know our bodies and be able to have each other to support each other and have that psychological front that this isn't going to overcome me. I'm going to overcome. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I, I mean, think that's a beautiful thing because, like you said, door, doors are starting to open. Yeah, we're, we're so grateful for these uh, these organizations like November. Again, we're just starting to get a re, uh, to build a relationship with them, but funding uh, agencies like them that see the need to uh, uh, help build these organizations to do what we do. Uh, I mean, look, the, the we can win. Uh, we have just developed uh, a scholarship fund called Together We Win. Um, This is gonna help graduating seniors who are coming out of households where their father or their uncle uh, may have prostate cancer, whether they're a survivor or a patient, uh, because the need nowadays to go to college, uh, the financial need is great. And so if we can lift some of that burden um, through the Together We We Win scholarship, by the way, it's like a $2,000 scholarship right now. Uh, we, our intent is to raise $10,000 to give five of these scholarships at our symposium. Uh, then we can lift some of that. It's a beautiful goal. Yeah. So we can lift some of that burden off those families. And as, as you mentioned earlier, uh, we can win uh, as one, 100% of the proceeds that come into our, our organization go directly into the organization. I don't take a salary. Um, I don't take a stipend. 100% goes into the organization because we are trying to build this organization up. The intent is to one day be able to retire 
and be uh, the CEO if we can win, be 100% into the nonprofit. That way I can do some of the other things that I want to do. Um, the, the testimony I was giving you earlier about the conversation with God generated a book. So I'm now writing a book called Why Me? Uh, the Journey of an African-American Man with Prostate Cancer, right? Uh, and, and again, just like we have in this conversation now, it's a true conversation. Um, I don't I don't sugarcoat it, right? I tell it just the way it is because in our community, you know, if we, if we sugarcoat it, we're going to pass it by, right? So, uh, you know, being able to sit in this seat that I sit in, uh, spend countless hours, thinking about how we can get this information out, how we can partner with other organizations. Uh, you know, at one point I was, I was like, you know what, I, I'm ready to take this thing to another level. And uh, I just had a conversation with my good friend, Chris Bennett, uh, who was the director of health equity for Zero. Uh, had a conversation with him a couple of days ago. And so we're, we're getting ready to position we can win to go to a national level. Um, the MOU with uh, the Gulf Coast region of Phi Beta Sigma uh, is going to lead to, I believe, going to lead to a national memorandum of understanding with the national headquarters as well as my chapter. It doesn't make sense because we have a men's, men's health initiative. So it makes sense um, to come on board uh, and support these initiatives that we're putting out. Now, uh, are there some negative things to this thing? Of course, there are. I mean, we, we face issues every day. Um, but I'm able to, you know, sit back, take a deep breath, um, pass it along. Um, I know what to choose and what not to choose. We're we're in a serious branding campaign right now so that we can make people know that we're here. We have a presence. Um, we, we, we sit on, I sit on panels with, world-renowned doctors i'm not threatened by that you know i mean uh not well, you? you're you're living you're living testimony you're the overcomer you're the the biggest person that should that you you know that's on it because you qualified you they they they're educated but you're qualified to talk about what it is because you're the one who who went through it yeah and we want to we, we want to try to convince these big organizations that it's important to have boots on the ground I mean, look, you, you can you can have all the money in the world, man, as a nonprofit. You can, you know, uh, these big pharma companies, millions and billions of dollars that you guys have, but you're spending less than 2% of that money in the African-American community, yet you want to have a conversation with me telling me how diverse you are. No, I don't have that conversation. I have a real conversation with you. Show me what you're doing in my community so that I can help another African-American family, not just the man, the entire family, right? Uh, let me tell you how this guy is struggling down the street because he has four stage prostate cancer. And his wife can't go to work and he's got three kids and they, you know, now they're depending on public assistance. Give me, give me uh, an in route to be able to help families like this. They do it on their side all the time, right? How many commercials have you seen about prostate cancer with people that look like us, very few. How many conferences do you go to that deal with prostate cancer? Where you see people that look like us, very few. I brought this up when I was at the conference for Zero 
a couple of months ago. And I said to them, I said, look around you, look around the room. How many people do you see that looks like me? Okay. Not many. Everybody was in agreement, not many. I said, well, look at the commercials in the same way. How many people do you see look like me? When this disease is killing us all faster than any other race on the planet, we have to diversify and we have to bridge the gap between what's going on with my counterparts and what's going on on the African-American side. God has fixed it where we're, we're, getting, we're getting connected with some major organizations. I'm, I'm participating in a golf tournament this coming Monday, right? And... Uh, these are people that invited me. They want to talk to me about what we can win is doing. What are you guys actually doing in Dallas? We heard so much about you. This is the conversation they had with me. We heard so much about you. So what are you actually doing? And what type of help do you need? And these are the conversations that we need to strike up. These are conversations that will help bring in finances and bring in resources that will, that will be able to reach out to organizations like uh, Empower Plates, uh, you know, your, your organization that deals with nutrition because there is a huge nutritional part of this thing, but what we should be eating, what we what we shouldn't be eating. Of course, you know, we've had that conversation a million times, right? <laughs> but uh, it will allow us to align ourselves with organizations like yourself to be able to uh, come in and have that presentation. You know, that, that's what I mentioned to you about, you know, being a part of our symposium because what you do is healthy. Right. And if they if they can see this, if they can just visualize it, that it makes sense, they have the nutrition part to it, then that's going to push what you're doing even further up the chain. And so that's what we want to do. We don't want to just move. We can win. We want to be able to empower other African-American nonprofits that's that's serious about what they're doing. Right. Because this thing can it can get kind of crazy. Right. And especially when you start dealing with money. And I, you know, I believe that we should do everything like the Bible said, decent and in order. So we have a structure. We have a structure. We have a board of directors, right? Uh, that we speak with uh, on a consistent basis. I have professional, successful mentors, right? That I talk to. Um, we're we're getting ready to enter into a conversation with uh, an African American uh, accounting firm that's going to handle all of our financial situations, right? Um, they deal specifically with small nonprofits. And re today, remember this word on, on 10 7 2023. Remember this word, small, small. Because I, I, I can guarantee you, in the next five years, we will not have a small conversation. We will not have a small conversation. Because before I leave this earth, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we can win and successful, to make sure that the power plays and power lives are in, uh, uh, are successful. Uh, some of these other nonprofits that we're, we're talking to, uh, people that want to get into the nonprofit field, I tell them, make sure you get, get some sleep and think about that because it's nothing, it's not a walk in the park. As you know, it's not a walk in the park. What has been your most challenging obstacle thus far? Um, being the CEO of We Can Win, what has been the most challenging? Me. I'll tell you the truth. I've been my biggest challenge, my biggest obstacle, because there are times when uh, um, my emotions 
get involved because this is a serious thing. This thing with prostate cancer is serious, man. I lost my best friend with prostate cancer. Uh, he was 63 years old, right? I mean, me and this dude were like brothers coming up. Uh, and so the challenges are being able to get past the emotional side, especially when I'm dealing with people, when I'm dealing with some of these nonprofits that, that we're talking to, that the emotions start to build up. Not in a way that could be a benefit, right? Because they see the passion, they see the seriousness um, uh, in what we're doing. But the challenge, the biggest challenge I have is getting face to face with some of these organizations that can help fund organizations like ours. That's the biggest challenge. Second so challenge. What have you found the most reward? Oh, you said you got a second challenge? Challenge. Go second. ahead, hit me. The second challenge is me. Black me. Being African-American, going to these multi-million dollar organizations, then I need your help. When I walk through the door, I have to be real careful that I handle myself in a professional manner because, again, it gets emotional. And people telling you that, hey, you know what, what, you, what you're doing is it seems a little racist. It becomes a big challenge for because look, all I want to do is help people, right? But my concentration is always going to be to help my people first. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, how many people are coming to help us right. and are coming to help us sincerely and not just to label us or box us in or create us in a certain status? Um, who's really coming to empower us, not just help us, but empower us to really do what it is that we need to do for us. And I, and I think that's the biggest thing. And sometimes it gets challenging because you see what's possible and it's having to change and shift mindsets to believe what it is that you believe not only for yourself but for your community and for your organization because you know it to be true mm -hmm. not true but truth because um i heard earlier on my mindset zoom that whatever is true can be changed but whatever is the truth cannot Right. And so if it's the truth that African-American men are dying at the five times rate of any other people, that's the truth. It's not what you believe that we can win is true or what zero might believe is true. No, that is the truth. Right. That is a statistic that is the truth, not true. And what you're trying to do is let them know that these are the facts and I don't want it to be. So I'm trying my best to make that shift. And I think that's that's the beautiful part. And I appreciate you for telling sharing your challenges because people need to know that too. Because it's not all glitter, glitter and glory. It's not all, oh, every day I'm waking up and I'm just excited because we can win exist. It's not about existing. It's about continuing to move the ball forward. It's continuing to be an impact, to be influenced, to have power every single day behind we can win because it's about winning. It's not about the losses. Like you said, and condolences to your best friend. It's not about the losses. It's about the wins. And we're all focused on the wins, not what we have to lose. And I, I think that's beautiful because you have to keep yourself in top-notch shape mindset-wise 
but also physically. And yeah, we we we've talked about nutrition. And you've had my mouth watering at them Boston baked beans sitting in the meeting before. And I and you just talked about how good you was ready to wake up from your procedure and go get that fried chicken. Get this fried chicken. You gotta meet people where they are. You gotta meet them where they are and what they can do. So well, I did want to hit on a little bit on nutrition because y'all know I'm all about an empowered plate because I believe food that is good for you should taste good as well. But for those of you that know someone that might be battling with prostate cancer, a good breakfast option would definitely be oatmeal. You want something good with fiber and I suggest throwing in some berries because you need those antioxidants just running running through your your system and really just doing what it needs to do on the inside of your body. If you eat salad, go with a salmon salad. You need those omega-3 fatty acids. Like, And I love to throw salmon in the air fryer when I ate fish. Throw that salmon in the air fryer. Season it up with some good herbs. Try to be minimal on your salt because that does cause in inflammation. And then you can always do you a good vegetable stir fry. I mean, broccoli, carrots, bell peppers. We eat vegetables. It's just not always the center of our plate. We might just have a side portion because that's what the standard American diet always taught us to just put it in certain components of our plate. But we can have some real good, real good stir fries if that's what we really want. And if you're just trying to snack, Dr. Wright, and you're trying to slide away a little bit every now and then from them Boston baked beans because there's a little nut inside that candy coat. And baked bean because I love it. That was one of my favorite childhood candy. Did you can get you some mixed nuts? You can get you some mixed nuts, some good mixed nuts, um, and just give yourself a variety. I know, I know what people might be thinking because we're talking to prostate, but get you some mixed nuts that are really, really good for that area down there, just because you want that good protein. Um, so I definitely want to make sure y'all get a little bit more empowerment on your plate today because Dr. Right has definitely been empowering you on all the statistics when it comes to prostate cancer. So we know what I'm really glad about and I'm hearing is together we win is a scholarship, a scholarship, a scholarship opportunity that you all are now trying to provide of two thousand dollars and you want to give away at least five of them. And I think that's beautiful. I know because we are in um, black Greek organizations, Mia Delta and you are Sigma. We always think about how we can really support people when they're trying to get higher education and family. So is there a way that people could help support those scholarships? Is there a way that people can donate or be able to support those? Or even what are the qualifications? What what are the qualifications to even be able well, to be? Well, a I mean, uh, absolutely. Look, uh, the, the, the prerequisites and requirements are all on our website. Uh, they're kind of kind of lengthy. Um, but uh what's the website dr right www.wecanwinpc.org www.wecanwinpc.org i'll have that um, website linked in the show descriptions as well yeah uh, and they can go to the website uh person can go to the website our contact information is on there as well um there is a uh, uh the we can win we together we win scholarship uh, is under our give a gift page. Uh, it tells all the criteria, all the requirements. Uh, mainly, the, the, the student has to be coming from a family uh, where the uh, the provider is dealing with prostate cancer, father, uncle, whatever. 
dealing with prostate cancer, whether as a survivor or uh, as a patient. And we're also looking uh, at families uh, who are caregivers um, of these people. Again, it takes a village. Caregivers go through a lot of stuff taking care of these guys. Um, the student uh, has to have a two, I think it's a 2.0. Uh, it's the lowest GPA they can use to qualify. Uh, we didn't set the standard too high. We want to be able to help. But all that information is on our website as well as information about who we are, what we do. My testimony is on there, of course. Uh, and there's the subscriber link when you first uh, log on to the site. Uh, we ask that they fill it out. We'll get an email. Um, we'll acknowledge that email. And then we'll make sure that they get on our monthly newsletter. Uh, which we'll be sending out, I think, out our October newsletter will be going out uh, sometimes next week uh, and start gearing up for Symposium 24. But yeah, my, I mean, my, my email is on there, my contact email, my phone number is on there. Uh, so that, that's that's the best way to hook up with us. Yeah. There's a donation page on there, you know, just in case you're feeling generous. Uh, we also have our prostate and breast cancer support shirts that, that are also supporting our scholarship fund. Um, and uh, those are $25. You can purchase those and we'll get them out in the mail to you. Um, and then um, I think that's about it for right now. We're still building our brand. Yeah, we're still building our brand. And uh, I was trying to think of with the t shirts there. My head is all over the place. Right oh, now. no, you're okay. I got to get me a shirt though. When I get my shirt, I'll definitely hashtag we can win. Um, I'm a huge uh, supporter of Sisters Network, Inc., um, an African-American breast cancer survivor group. Um, mm -hmm. I was really a part of uh, supporting the Northeast Florida chapter in Jacksonville. Um, I haven't connected with the chapter here um, in Dallas, but yeah. I, I definitely need to get me a shirt and support. And I'm glad to know that my shirt purchase will support the, the mission of We Can Win. Um, maybe yeah. we can rock those shirts together one yeah. day. I just pulled it up. So for 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 breast cancer uh, supporters, her fight is my fight support squad, and for prostate cancer, his fight is my fight support squad. So uh, yeah, you know, real simple. We got some other branding stuff that we're working on as well. So look all right, to tell them a little bit about that walk you got in Fort Worth on October twenty eighth. I am honored to be a part of the Zero Prostate Cancer Walk Run on October 28th. Starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, it's over in Fort Worth. Uh, you can go to their website, zeroprostatecancer.org, and then in the search uh, box, just put in walk runs and find the one for Fort Worth or whatever area you might be in. Um, we actually will have a vendor table set up there. Uh, we'll be passing out some literature and uh, some swag and stuff like that about we can win uh this is a huge fundraiser for zero right uh, and we support that uh, we really do support that and so i'm excited about it uh we'll be the part of that we have to be there very early in the morning uh like six o'clock in the morning make sure we get our table set up and get our literature stuff put out but we're you know again god is opening up some fantastic doors i'm um, speaking at um, the regional uh, 586 Sigma regional conference for the Gulf Coast region. I'm also speaking at the state conference for Louisiana on November 3rd through the 5th. And then I'll also be speaking at the Gulf Coast, uh, the, the Lone Star State Conference, um, October 17th through the 19th over in Temple, Texas. So I'm, I'm going to be all over the place here pretty soon. But spread the word, man. That's the thing. I enjoy it. I love it. You know, that's beautiful. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, I 
this is a part. I think you said you had three three daughters, and um, I, I think you told me before your former wife had endometriosis. So, um, what tips do you have for men who might have um, a significant other that has endometriosis, um, or girl dads who may not have their their wife or the girls might not have their mother no longer, um, you know, with them or in that family. What support do you or tips do you have for them as they help support um, their wife who might have endometriosis or their girls who are going through menstrual um, situations, menstrual health? What would you tell them to kind of look after or have conversations or how could they better support during those times as a man? Look, keyword is support. Keyword support. Um, we hadn't we hadn't yet got married. We were two, about two years away from getting married because we we had planned to have a really big wedding, which we did. But uh, she uh, that surgery rendered her unable to have children. And um, you know, I was in a marriage for a long time, thirty two years. But um, the biggest factor was for me to say to her. I'd rather have you here in the life than you dead because you, you tried to have a kid and that kid took you out, right? The mental side of that, the psychological side of that for a woman is, but I want I, I want us to have children. Yeah, I get it, I, I get it. But I want you to be alive and healthy at the same time, right? So if you, if you, if you bring a child into the world, it's God's will, if not, Man, we're gonna live a great life. We're gonna travel. We don't need a babysitter. We don't have to worry about getting them to school. We don't have to buy school clothes. <laughs> we just gonna have a good old time. And that's what we did, right? But support, man, that's the thing. You have to be able to support these women. Uh, you know, get off the ego trip. You know, hey, look, it is what it is, right? And uh, I was fortunate, um, you know, to have kids prior to marriage. So, uh, you know, my, my kids have been phenomenal uh, in my life. And, uh, you know, to to be with her through that situation, um, because just to go, just to walk in the hospital and hold her hand that, that, that day she came out of surgery and recovery and say, hey, you know what? You made it, girl. You're going to be all right. I say, and you're cute too, you know. <laughs> you know, just stuff like that. You know, y'all ain't cute when you come out of surgery, baby. Hair Don't do us. Place. We are. Don't, hair's not all over the place. Don't do that. Yeah, so right. but you're cute too, girl. So hurry up and get out of here. You're going to be all right. You're going to make it through. But endometriosis is nothing to play with, man. It's not. And it's yeah. not. And I'm glad you, you said that because that is a big psychological thing when it comes to um, having endometriosis. Is, if you don't already have kids, you know, you don't know what the future holds for you. And yeah. so you kind of embrace the kids that are in your life and, you know, other people's kids. And I'm grateful to have um, amazing godsons. And I have beautiful students that I get to be around all day, every day. And now I have an emotional support animal, Spencer. So I just try to find the joy in what I do have every single day. And like you said, if it's in the wheel later down the road and that opportunity comes and I get the chance to be a mom, a biological mom, then that's good. And if not, there's other kids that need moms too. Right. Um, so there's other routes. So I, I appreciate you um, kind of giving us some, some light, some love and some support um, because it matters. Um, it matters a lot because 
not everybody understands that psychological part that comes with endometriosis and the challenges of having um, children. So I appreciate that. What about those girl dads who are trying to help with these girls and their periods? What, what you got for them? Did you have the period talk? Did you check in with your daughters all the time? See? Look, look, I, I have. If you want people to talk about prostate, where you sitting there talking to these, these daughters of yours? I have had conversations with my girls that are amazing, right? So look, I'm, I'm a no-nonsense kind of dad, and uh, um, both of my daughters are very well educated. Uh, you know, one has a, one has a PhD in educational management, the other has three master's degrees. Now she's in the doctoral program, and the other's a junior at Prairie View, studying engineering technology, right? But yeah, I've, I've had those down home, face to face you know, let's no hold bars conversation with them, right? Because even though a lot of conversations I didn't really understand, right? They came to me with the conversation, right? And so I entertained that conversation. And what I didn't know, I researched so I could go back and say, look, here's the thing. Now, men don't go through this stuff. And when y'all get to that point in, 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 in a month, uh, I, 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 this is when I wish I wish I was a millionaire so I can just jump on a plane and go to France or somewhere because y'all act crazy. <laughs> right? It's not an act, Dr. Ray. Well, my babies were like, Dad, would you really do that? I'm like, nah, I would I would leave y'all because of that. I want to be able to work it out. Let me tell me what's happening. Why are you acting like this? You know, but then look, the pain of I mean, I watched my granddaughter, I watched my granddaughter suffer immense pain. That is not normal. That is not normal at all. Then the other thing, we talked about endometriosis, right? The my, my ex, my former wife, I, I used to watch her go through bend over pain, right? Doing menstrual cycles, bend over pain. And I'm like, God, I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm a man. I don't have to go through this, right? But again, the men have to get to a point, man, where look, we brought these kids here. And if they have if they have a need to have that type of a conversation and they feel that they can, you know, you like I hug my kids, I kiss my daughters, I tell my daughters how cute they are, I tell them I love them, you know, I tell them how fine they are, I tell them I kill somebody that no, I'm just kidding. But you know, me and my me and my daughters are tight, man. We are really, really tight. And so brothers have to have that kind men have to have that kind of conversations. They're not comfortable. Because we don't really understand, but we have to have those conversations. I appreciate that. I do. I do. Thank you for that, Dr. Wright. Um, what is one word, one word that you would use to describe food? Because I know you told me before about food and the role it plays in health and in healing. What is one word? that you would use to describe food. Cause the way you have my mouth watering about that fried chicken early in this conversation, you know your way around a plate. So what is your one word to describe food to you? Right. We, we, we have to eat the right food, right? Now I make a lot of conversation, a lot of jokes about food, but, and some things I, I really shouldn't be eating either. But you mentioned salmon earlier, man. I, I can eat salmon all day, every day, right? Chicken is okay. Put it in the oven. Bake that chicken. Barbecue that chicken in the oven. 
you know, try to stay away from fried, greasy foods, right? And that's hard in our community. It I'm is. from New Orleans. I'm from New Orleans. So, you know, we, I came up eating all this spicy food. I can't do it anymore. My, my stomach would not allow it. And every now and again, you know, I'll jump in and, you know, just suffer the consequences. But we we have to get to, like you said, nuts and berries, uh, people with prostate cancer, pomegranate juice. Is, is is fantastic for people who have uh, prostate cancer. It's really it tastes really good. Um, you can get the fruit or you can get the juice, right? It's prefer preferably the fruit because it's natural. But uh, eating right uh, and not overeating because obesity and other diseases play an important role into how prostate cancer is going to either progress or get better. Agree. I love it. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I like that word right. Now, I didn't know if you was just throwing it out there because you doctor right or not, but you can never <laughs> be wrong when you write. And as I tell you all the time in the halls, but it's the last question. If you could sit down and have a meal with any historical figure, who would the historical figure be and what would you all have to eat? Well, hey, hey. You keep making me go there. <laughs> All right, so uh, I tell you what, let's 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 go back a little bit. So I had I had number because there's a couple of people that I would really like to sit down and eat with, right? One is Dr. Opal Lee, who happens to be one of my sorars, right? Uh, the grandmother of Juneteenth. But I had the opportunity, the pleasure, to attend. Uh, a birthday party back in 1988, I think it was, 87, 88, somewhere in there. Uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, uh, I was on her first campaign for city council in the city of Oakland, California. And her mother and her sister were customers in my beauty salon. Well, I did hair for 17 years before this other crazy stuff I do. And uh, so I, I get them, I wouldn't even have this invitation. Uh, and I'm like, where is this from? It's all fancy stuff jumping up out the envelope. So I go to this birthday party um, for Barbara's mother, Mildred, and my wife and I sit next to this lady, right? And I'm, I'm in between my wife and this lady, and I kept looking at her. I said, I know this lady from somewhere. I just can't figure out why, who she is. Finally, I told my wife, I'm here to ask her who she is. I leaned over and I asked her, I said, ma'am, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I know I know you. I just can't place your name with your face here's what she said to me she said sweetie when i am in a situation and she said situation i don't know why when i'm in a situation like this no no no, no I, I gotta reverse it she says, she says when i'm in congress you know, right when she said congress I almost fell out of my seat she said when i'm in congress i am the honorable Shirley chisholm i was like Oh, wow. Now I'm trying to my make sure everything is tight. Make sure my waves But when I'm in this situation, I'm just plain old sure. Oh, wow. Sit next to her. Have dinner with her. Dance with her. But the most important thing I got from that meeting was about 17 minutes of conversation 
where she where she poured into me with all of this wisdom and knowledge that she had. Let me know that this is the next I'm losing your audio, Dr. Wright. You, you losing it? You still yeah. Me? Yeah, I, I got you. Go ahead. Say something now. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that I didn't realize that she was the only African-American, the first African-American female that ran for president of the United States on the DNC ticket in 1969. I thought I was going to drop dead. Glad you didn't. We still need you in 2023, and it's 87, 88. Look, I held hands with her. I, 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 I was I, still caught on you really? dancing. I, I wanted to see her. her move. Oh, yeah, I was bad back then in the 80s. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little, little pep in my step back then. But she was phenomenal. And I have never forgotten that day. I have pictures with her. Um, you know, just to sit next to that piece of African American history, right? So is that who you eating with, Doctor Rod? Are you eating with the sour? Y'all, you getting two, two? You getting two seats at the table? Who, who we going with? Oh well, you know, I, 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 I had the honor of doing the invocation for the uh, the Zeta Gala last year, and guess who was in the front seat? Uh, Opal Lee. <laughs> I guess who's on my wall in my living room? Oprah Lee, me in a picture of Oprah Lee, the grandmother of Juneteenth, right? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, today- so you got Oprah Lee and Shirley. Oprah Lee and Shirley. But today, if I had a choice, if I had a choice, if I could make it happen, you know who I was sitting next to? Who's sitting at the table, Dr. Wright? Barack Obama. Well, what y'all eating? Whatever they serve. <laughs> you have to put in the request. He coming to eat at your table. Y'all about to have empowered plates and get your live dog empowered. is coming. What right? y'all eating? We having grilled salmon, asparagus, right? We're going to have this, this. I like salad. So we're going to have this awesome salad. What kind and of I'm dress? Uh, What's your go-to dressing, Dr. Ryan? This is going to be ranch for the rest of my life. That's all I want ranch. Matter of fact, I, I, every now and then I got to add some salad to my dressing. <laughs> <laughs> I like a wet salad too. Don't give me no little dry dab and I'm trying to get just a little dot. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but not that. ranch. I used to like ranch, but I don't do the ranch no more. I like to sit there. I got a ranch. You got a ranch on your salad. Oh, yeah, you said yeah. some asparagus. I love asparagus, yeah. Some salmon. Salmon. All right, that's it? That's all I need. And some wheat toast. Oh. Anything right. on your toast? Or are you just taking right. it straight right. up? Uh, Low-calorie butter, margarine. Okay. Butter. Those are low-calorie. Right. I, I plan to live till I'm about 90 years old. And so, you know. Uh, I figure after 90, uh, you know, time is up. It's just how to just go ahead because I did all I could do by the time I'm 90. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I'm really careful though. I'm, I'm really, I'm really careful. Uh, my biggest issue is I like, I like certain, like, I don't like cake with icing, but I like pound cake and I like seven up cake. I like lemon cake, right? But, I like uh, sweet potato pound cake. Oh. Oh, I never had that one. Sweet potato I love pound. sweet potato pound cake. Mm -hmm. I think the first time I had uh, 
sweet potato pound cake was at T.I.'s restaurant in Atlanta. He doesn't have that restaurant anymore. Um, but I've had a gluten-free plant-based version one. My brother made it before and before. And oh, my goodness, that was really good. I like sweet potato cornbread, too. And look, like what, what a lot of people don't realize, you know, you're talking about gluten-free uh, uh, meals and uh, certain vegetarian meals or vegan meals. Man, I, I didn't think that those meals would be good. But I had sat down and ate some cold-blooded vegan meals. Hey, I had a vegan burger. Ain't no blood in the vegan meal. <laughs> at my, my son-in-law's restaurant. And now when I want a burger, that's where I go. That was the best tasting thing I ever had in my life. Thank you, Dr. Right. Because some people make but it seem like people do plant-based. It's just nothing but salad. But chicken. Here you, here you go. Here you go. The chicken. Here you go. Fried, boiled, baked, barbecue. I, I, I. Chicken. <laughs> it's all I don't right. eat a lot of pork, but I like chicken, I like salmon, and I like turkey. Okay. I, I can work with that. If you can work with it, I can work with it. That's it. I got it. Okay. I'm with it. So, Dr. Wright, your last words here on Empowered Plates, Empowered Lives, this episode, because you might just be back before the symposium, I want you to. <laughs> Give the people a little something, something. Let them know. Use your voice. Talk to them. Empower their life real quick. Whether it's someone suffering from prostate cancer, whether it's just something about your mission. Um, and before, I just want to say congratulations on, on your book. Why me? I love that. I love that. And like you said, being transparent and stop with the sugary, getting with the fluff, just going straight, raw, no chaser. I'm down with that. Congratulations. I want to say that too. Um, but go ahead. Speak, speak, or speak. Give them, give them a word. Empower look, them. Look, look. Here, here's how this thing goes. Um, I, I, I heard something last night uh, at a memorial service. A guy said this about a poem. The poem was called "In That Minute." I can't remember the whole thing, but here's what I do remember from it: In that minute, life is in it. That minute could be. 10 years, a minute could be five years, that minute could be 30 months. But at the end of the day, that minute is 60 seconds. Your 60 seconds could affect somebody's lifestyle, somebody's lifetime. It's just 60 seconds to take some time out, right? So with that, what we have to do as African-Americans, is start understanding that if we don't look out for us, nobody else is going to look out for us. If you don't care about you, nobody else is going to care about you. If you're not your most important you, then you're not important. This thing that we're dealing with in today's society, whether it be prostate cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, whatever it is, we have to take a positive approach and forget about what somebody else is going to say or do in our community until we take a stand in our own community and fight against these diseases. They're going to continue to kill us at numbers that are getting to a point that they can't even keep track of. So it's our responsibility to look out for us 
we got to get away from all of this. Well, hey, it's not me. I don't care. But what if it is you? See, it, and we can win. We can't do this alone. One of our tags is that a cure is in reaching distance. But our main strategy is real talk about prostate cancer. We can't do it alone. But together, we can win. I love that. I loved all of that, Dr. Wright. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I It made me think about, um, I was listening to this podcast on um, Be The Match. And in uh, this podcast is really focused on African-Americans getting them on the um, bone marrow registry. And the thing that really stood out the most, kind of what you were saying, it, it's going to take all of us to save one of us. And it 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 just really speaks volumes to where it just can't be some of us. It just can't be me. It just can't be you. It just can't be our separate villages. It's going to take all of us to know that it's important for us to be our number one priority, for us to be empowered, to overcome obstacles, for us to make the right food decisions so we know that we're on the right track to healing and not killing um, what life we do have in us. And I, I think that 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 word about the minute and how we can win was was powerful and in alignment. Um, so I appreciate that. Thank you, Dr. Wright, but we can you. win for coming through on the Empowered Plates, Empowered Lives podcast. All of Dr. Wright's information will be in the description of this podcast episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're listening on any audio podcast distribution, please follow us, give us a good rating, and let us know what you like about this episode and how you're planning to be empowered yourself. Um, thank you, Dr. Wright. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. And until next time, y'all just keep vibing, keep healing, but most importantly, keep loving, living, and liking. Be All right. easy. All right. Y'all take it easy. Thank <laughs> <laughs>